0: Welcome to the Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, Range and Livestock Specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. Welcome back to the Art of Range podcast. Today's episode will be the first in a new grant-funded effort to promote ranch financial resiliency and to do some outreach on livestock insurance as one component of a financial safety system. The partners in this project include Kathy Bartels with Farm Credit Services Northwest, Matt Griffith with WSR Insurance out of California, Jack Field with CKP Insurance out of Washington State. And my co-hosts for today's episode, and a few more to come, James Rogers and Clay Warden. James will be familiar to regular listeners, but has left the Wine Cup Gamble and is in a new role now. Jack Southworth, also a familiar voice from the very beginning of the podcast, will be our guest today to begin our foray into ranch financial health. Clay Warden will be new to most listeners, and he'll introduce himself at the beginning of this first episode. We had some previously unencountered technical difficulties in our recording today, so please excuse any seeming jumps in the audio or the conversation. Something in the space-time continuum broke down today, and we'll get back after we've fixed it. Uh, Let's do some quick self-introductions to provide some context for listeners before we Jump into a, a topic, um, James. You you're doing some different things now uh, than you were last time we talked. Describe a bit uh, what what you're chasing down these days.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Tip. Uh, yeah, it's exciting times. There's a lot going on in the ag industry, and as I uh, kind of retired from my role at the Wine Cup Gamble Ranch there in Northeast Nevada, I still saw a need to engage with uh, family ranches and just help them to, you know, adapt some systems and some accountability and just provide tools so that they can um, operate at a more professional level. And so, uh, we began a Way Ranch Service Company and just we're excited to engage and we really see things as the, the triple bottom line, you know, social, economic, and ecological health for ranches. And so we kind of work in all of those arenas. And so it's exciting to be a part of this discussion today. Thank you.
0: Great. Clay?
2: Well, I'm also excited to uh, join you all today. I've I've enjoyed listening to some of your previous podcasts. And I think you disseminate some excellent information. Uh, my background, for those that, that don't know me, I was born and raised on a ranch in Wyoming. Uh, When it came time to go to college, I I found myself uh, playing basketball down in Florida. I joined an accounting firm uh, after that that had a pretty robust ag practice. Uh, And from a Wyoming boy going to Florida, I didn't realize there was so much agriculture uh, outside of the West. Uh, And then for the last 30 years, I've been helping uh, from family organizations to large corporate organizations um, in the whole Uh, supply chain from farm gate to consumer plate. And it's really given me some insight into, you know, which organizations are profitable, which are not. And I've really got a passion for trying to help ag producers uh, produce not only quality products, but a profit.
0: Great. Welcome. Jack, I'll let you go ahead and do some introduction as well. Uh, we've we've visited before, but we likely have a number of new listeners since the very beginning of the podcast. And um, glad to have you back. Who are you, and what do you do?
3: Good morning, Tip. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, my wife, Teresa, and I operate a cow calf yearling operation in eastern Oregon, and we're a high mountain valley outfit with a long winter. And the last year, the combination of drought and high feed prices has uh, prompted us to take a hard look at what business or businesses or maybe I should say enterprises we should uh, direct uh, our efforts towards on this ranch. And so for you to have a podcast today about financial resilience, that's what I think ourselves but a lot of ranches in the West are thinking about these days
0: yeah i'm glad to have you i i I did use the term ranch financial resiliency and i fear a little bit that resiliency has become one of those buzzwords that starts to lose its meaning sort of like sustainability and so it's important for us to define what we mean by resiliency i guess financial health would be would be a a good word as well but I, i actually like the term resiliency because i think sometimes the term financial health Uh, seems to imply that you reach a a level that we would call healthy and then it's static and nothing changes and you you stay healthy. But I actually think healthy requires resiliency and and resiliency implies or assumes that things will go up and down and won't remain static, but but you have some ability uh, to respond to those Financial disturbances, if you will. Uh, I guess I'm an ecologist at by training and at heart, and so that the term disturbance works well for me. But you know, when when things happen that are unexpected or that could be negative, resiliency means that you have both the ability to uh, resist being uh, damaged irreparably from, say, a financial setback, as well as the ability to bounce back from. So, there's both resistance and resilience that are uh, that are concepts inside the idea of resiliency. And I would add here that I'm not an economist, not even an armchair economist, and so I'm hoping to ask the dumb questions that people often feel like they're afraid to ask because they think that other people think that they should already know the answer to the question. So, I'm relying on the expertise in the virtual room here and and I'm hoping to ask some some dumb questions yeah maybe to get us started I feel like you often hear in certain AG circles that we don't do this for the money but but for agriculture to work for people and society it's it's got to make money at least in a way that allows it to remain um you know, fiscally floating. People have to be able, people have to be able to make a living at it. And, and I would also say that my experience and observation has been that when, when ranches go under, it's usually money that caused it. So, money still matters. And it tends to be the thing that causes social conflicts, uh, which also contributes significantly to the demise of ranches that have been around for a long time, and and to the instability of um, you know keeping land intact, et cetera. There's pretty significant uh, secondary and tertiary effects when when particularly family ranches go under. And so, I want to. Uh, my interest in having uh, you on, Jack, was to just start with an open-ended question Uh, you've been doing this for a while and uh, and have seen uh, through your roles with uh, country natural beef a lot of how other ranches operate what would you say are some general principles for sound ranch financial management and we can go from there to what some common weaknesses are that you see Uh, but i i I'm reluctant to try to prescribe the conversation too tightly. And I want to just have an open conversation. What do you feel like you see out there over uh, a a number of years of doing this?
3: Tip? I feel like we're in increased, uh, volatility or times with increased volatility, whether it be drought, uh, volatility in prices, uh, vault of for cattle volatility and the cost of our inputs hay fuel fertilizer we're in times where we're tr- having to move forward where we can't see very far ahead and you mentioned resilience i i'd like to add another uh adjective there adjective there i think it's about adaptive resilience i think it's our ability to take a stress like last year's drought rebound from that stress And maybe be a slightly different operation as a result after examining our um, financial, social, ecological, and production situation. And so, if we have that adaptive resilience, that that mindset that we're going to take these stresses and learn from them, then I think that's the first component of long term success. You spoke of financial health. Well, it's fine to be financial health healthy but we need to be thinking forward and so that we're not uh, mining the uh, principle we've secured in the past to operate in the future we ought to pay our own way forward in the future with the financial productivity of these ranches and so how do we get to be financially productive well we start off with the the people on a ranch whether it be a a husband and wife, a manager and employees, um, an owner with uh, an employer too. We need to work together as a team. And I think that uh, is the first step in uh, having a really healthy operation. And a team that has a common purpose and knowing what they're working for, uh, just primes uh, an operation for success. The second thing is ecological health. We need those dense stands of healthy perennial grasses in order to have these profitable livestock enterprises. Before we think about breeds of cattle or uh, corral handling systems, we need to think about uh what we want our landscape to look like to uh provide for the production we want. And then uh, lastly, is with all those things in mind, let's chart a financial path forward. Uh, We have a tremendous amount of tools now, don't we? Uh, Provided by universities, provided by uh, outfits like uh, ranch management consultants. Uh, We have tools available to us that we didn't have 40 years ago when interest rates were high and uh, there was a large liquidation of livestock operations in the West. Now I think we have the tools to help us move forward.
0: Yeah, and if I could jump in there and go back to what you were saying about ecological health, uh, I, I think this is a this is somewhat unique to pasture and range based livestock production, uh, because you look look at other sectors of agriculture, especially animal agriculture, uh, such as you know modern dairying or poultry, or swine. And in most of those situations, uh, those operations do not rely on ecological health. And I've said, I feel like a million times before, this is part of what I think is uh, it is an important story to tell about pasture and range-based livestock agriculture. There is an intrinsic tie between ecological health and financial health that really can't be removed. If you don't protect future productivity by taking care of the land today it jeopardizes your ability to make money tomorrow uh, and and that's uh, that is unique i think
3: you bet it's unique but in the long term we all are connected to ecological health aren't we even chicken and hog operations are tied to a, a monoculture or a dual culture of uh, corn and soybeans right and They've got to think about their long-term health in a different way, perhaps.
0: they are a couple of degrees removed from it, but in the big picture, it still holds. If the corn farmer is losing soil and, and therefore yes. increasing the cost he's got to spend on inputs in order to make the same volume of corn from the same acreage of land, that eventually is going to impact the chicken farmer too. You know, Jack, uh, this is Clay, and, and you are,
2: uh, you're spot on on the, the team side, the three really – Uh, stool legs that you're talking about. Those organizations that I see that have a well-functioning team tend to be more profitable than those that have a dysfunction in their team. Uh, The next thing you talked about was the ecological. Those ranches that I see that um, put more attention into growing grass than they are growing cows tend to be more successful. And then the last piece, that financial piece, I think it is important to Understand that you know people don't plan to fail; they just fail to plan. And you've got to have a financial plan in place, especially in this time of these high inputs. Uh, it, it it takes a different thinking and, and different measurement uh, in times like this.
3: So, Clay, what is that financial plan right now? Because bankers call for an income statement and a balance sheet and a cash flow budget. Well, guess what? You can't do a planning with that, can you?
2: I certainly don't think so. I, you know, those are some pretty basic tools. And if you think about, uh, most, uh, family operations, you know, they're keeping records to complete a tax return. And Mm -hmm. yes, we all need to show the Uncle Sam what we've made and what we owe him, but that really doesn't provide the insight that, uh, to make decisions on. And so, I'm with you. I the banks that's what they like to look at, but from an operational standpoint, I really think uh, a rancher needs to correlate the financial data with the unit data that happens, you know, on the ranch. So whether it's on a per acre basis or a per head basis or a per ton basis. You know, uh what's it costing So let me
3: let me let me stop you there. I I think this the audience today is for the Intermountain West. And so Per acre doesn't work because our acres are so variable, and so per unit—are you talking about cattle or or different enterprises? What what is the what is the unit that you think we should should uh, evaluate?
2: Sure, I think AUMs is the is the you know a, a unit that could be looked at, you know. And I see some operations that uh, keep their cost on a per head. You know, uh, what's it cost to run a cow? I see other folks that keep costs. What's it cost to get a calf weaned and sold at the market? Uh, so I think it could be different for different folks. But I think out West, I agree with you that it would be an animal unit.
3: And I think you're spot on because it's a, a universal measurement of what a cow eats in a month. It's, whether it's a 1,000 pounds of grass or a half ton of hay, we can uh, convert that uh, forest land grazing to a meadow, to rangeland. Um, it, it works universally.
2: Well, maybe James, I could uh, you know, ask you a question you know, in terms of, of some of your experience. I mean, I think one of the, uh, the pieces that I've understood is the real value of volume and understanding that the volume of activity on a ranch, uh, whether that be the number of units, uh, the pregnancy rates, your calving rates, uh, what has your experience been?
1: Yeah, Clay, I think, I mean, you're spot on that we kind of see, you know, animal units as the big driver out here. I mean, we're all limited to a finite space or a ranch uh, that we can work from. And so if we can increase the number of units that we run on that finite space, we tend to overcome some of the overhead that we have that's really that space is subject to. Um, I know. You know, for, for me, you know, we, we rarely see our overhead change a lot. It's usually pretty constant. And the more units that we can run on that with that overhead, obviously, we reduce that and it, and it makes a big difference in our profitability.
2: And I think one of the things that uh, hopefully people understand, there's a difference between maximizing and optimizing those animal units. And uh, what I've experienced is those that try and just maximize the units uh, may not uh, year after year maximize their profits. But those that find the optimized uh, animal units for their space, they tend to have a, a little bit more consistency in their profitability.
0: Jack, do you like using the animal unit as the as the unit basis for evaluating these things you suggested that per acre is not a good one uh, what do you think about the suggestion that the per animal is a good way of evaluating that
3: per animal's good tip as long as we tie it back to a standard animal unit a cow and calf eat 1.4 animal units AUMs per month so they eat a 1. 1400 pounds of forage a month your 800 pound yearling steer eats closer to 800 pounds of forage per month. So it's not head to head, it's 1.4 to eight. And as long as we keep that in mind in our, our comparisons, then we'll be all right. We have to remember that we have a limited amount of forage on each of these ranches. And so we have to tie it back to how much is being consumed by these different enterprises.
2: Jack, I think you're spot on with that analysis. And I think that, um, that's where it gets back to that comment of correlating the economic information with the non-economic units. And I think that's where I see most ag producers are not, um, keeping track of those correlations. They're keeping track of their income. They keep track of their balance sheet. They've got a cash flow statement. All that's terrific. But really to, to, I believe how can you, Manage something that you don't measure. So if you're going to manage it, you've got to measure it, and you've got to measure it on these units. Uh, So hay production in your country. I mean, what is it costing you per uh, ton of hay? You know, how many tons of hay are you feeding? You know, so oftentimes the hay just gets put in the stack, and there's some costs that are associated with it, and it gets fed. and And I think those uh, producers that are really managing that that capital outlay of putting that hay in the stack. And making sure it goes through their animals appropriately tend to be more profitable. And so, I think you're spot on when you say uh, finding a unit measure that that works for your location.
0: Yeah, and I would add to that. I don't know what percentage of livestock producers, uh, and I'm not even sure where we would, you know, define commercial versus non-commercial. But um, I don't know how many people are tracking the the per animal cost. I'm, I'm recalling a cost, uh, an an enterprise analysis conducted by Doug Warnock, who was my predecessor at extension in Ellensburg. And he concluded back in 1996 that the average cow-calf producer, and he was including larger operations in this as well, were losing on an annual basis about $75 per mother cow. Uh, And if that's the case, it explains why some don't make it and also why most people are relying on off-farm income to support their agricultural hobby. How would you say that squares with with other folks that are out there today? That's been a while ago.
2: Yeah, I think that does square. I know that um, farm credit system has some benchmarking data. I've seen some benchmarking data at some of the universities. Uh, you know, where it, where it is trying to figure out what a a cow is. I know Jack's got a, a terrific model on a, on a cost system, you know, but it's interesting. Most farmers tell you what they think it's going to cost per cow or mother cow, but they really don't know. And it's another way to look at this is when the uh, protein or supplement uh, salesman comes out and says, Hey, you know, if you feed this supplement, your calves are going to do better. And, um, but there's real no way to validate that if you're not keeping track of the data. And so I'm a trust, but verify. So if you, if you had some data that you could see how those calves did before you used a supplement, how they do after a supplement, it makes you a little more well-informed on making a decision on whether you ought to outlay that capital uh, for that input. So I think benchmarking data is very powerful and helps people understand in their region, you know, what other producers cost, the hard part is it's apples and oranges. You know, not everybody keeps their costs the same. Um, not everybody, like Jack mentioned, their animal units aren't calculated the same. So you have to have some insight behind those numbers to make them work for your operation. What
0: would be one example of a benchmark measure?
2: Uh, just cost per weaned calf, or uh, you could have a, a cost per pound of gain uh, if you were you know, using a yearling operation.
0: And what are uh, what are all the costs that you would include in that benchmark measure? Well, I would include them
2: all. I mean, there's so many times that people leave costs out of the equation. But you know, you're going to have two kinds of costs. You've got direct cost, and those are you know pretty simple things. They're the the actual inputs that are going into the enterprise that you're doing. Right. But then you've also got some indirect costs, and that might be your your management or you know your bookkeeper's cost or Uh, Maybe it's uh, some depreciation or some of those things that, that may not feel direct, but at the end of the day, you've got to account for all of those costs on your ranch and they've got to get assigned to some production enterprise so that you can determine whether you're being profitable or not in that enterprise.
0: They're still real. They're just not so visible.
2: Correct. You know, and so oftentimes people just look at the checkbook at the end of the year and if they have more money in it, they assume they're profitable. And if they don't have as much money, then they lost money. And I think that's the, the danger in, in not really understanding your cost structure, what your break even points are. Yeah. And I think one of the concepts we need to really talk about is keep it simple, stupid. You know, people get, they try and make this math way too complicated. And we're trying to figure out exactly this and the, that you know, when you haven't done anything at all, just doing something is a great place to start and not getting hung
0: up on, on, you know, the nuances. Yeah. Don Nelson, who was WSU's extension beef specialist for a long time, uh, used to, he was really fond of saying prior planning prevents poor performance. (laughs) Yep. And, you know, part of my experience has been that I think people are sometimes overwhelmed by planning, but, but if you start, getting into the the weeds of trying to understand the numbers, it it prompts planning. The natural yes. response to that when you're looking at it is, oh, well I see where that went. I'm losing money right there. I need to plan to to work around that. So I, I think even though planning may feel like it's a, a daunting challenge, trying to understand the numbers makes you plan just because that's that's what your brain's going to do when you start thinking through it
2: i think that's excellent you know and and really a basic budget is a planning tool and you know it can be as simple as let's get your income statement for the last two or three years and see what you have spent in certain categories and and what we ought to spend this year in those categories i mean it's it doesn't have to be complicated
0: this was an initial conversation with these guests on ranch finance And we uncovered some topics that we would like to explore further in future episodes. Stay tuned for more from James, Jack, and Clay. Thank you for listening to the Art of Range podcast. You can subscribe to and review the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. Just search for Art of Range. If you have questions or comments for us to address in a future episode, send an email to show at artofrange.com. For articles and links to resources mentioned in the podcast, please see the show notes at artofrange.com. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission, empowering rangeland managers. Please take a moment to fill out a brief survey at artofrange.com. This podcast is produced by Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. The project is supported by the University of Arizona and funded by the Western Center for Risk Management Education through the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture.
1: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.